Whenever you obtain something, you also have the risk of losing something. So that's one of the downsides of owning anything is that it could all be gone. Oliver, you had a passion for politics. What brought about that passion? I probably felt quite insecure when I was younger. I saw politics as a way to gain some validation from the community. Do you think in general, as someone who has worked in politics, you can even change things within politics? And I'm unsure if I can, how free I am to say this, but I'm going to say it. So on the last week of exam season, I attempted suicide. Everything broke down. School didn't help, friends weren't there. It was very lonely. Would you have considered that rock bottom or the start of something new? Um, well, looking back now, I would say I'm quite optimistic. People have, have said to me to have a backup plan. I don't actually have a backup plan at the moment. It's very much all in. Hello friends, just quickly before we get started with today's show. The way these algorithms work is that the more people that listen to the show, the more people it gets promoted to. So as a result, I would love it if you would smash the subscribe or the follow button wherever you're listening or watching this so that I can help as many people as possible solve their quarter life crisis. And with that being said, thanks so much and let's get on with today's show. Oliver, you said you listened to my podcast, so you'll probably be expecting this question, but I start all my podcasts with the same question in order to establish the tone for the rest of the conversation. And that question is, are you happy? I am definitely feeling like I'm living a meaningful life at the moment. Whether that corresponds to happiness levels is a brilliant question. I'm pursuing happiness. Whether I'll obtain permanent happiness, probably not. Nothing's really permanent in the world. However, on the whole, things are going well. Yeah. Do you believe we should chase happiness? Do I believe we should chase happiness? Some, some people aren't in the best positions to necessarily chase happiness. They're living in very deprived circumstances. And the only way forwards is to have that bead of hope. And so I would say on the whole, it's worthwhile to pursue happiness. But there are things more meaningful than just happiness alone. And there are also necessities to consider, such as food, drink, and and homes and housing, which is a huge problem for young people at the moment. So it's a more complex type of question. On the whole, I believe, yes, but also alongside other things. If it's just hedonistic happiness alone, that can lead to huge expenditures and very bad life choices okay yeah for this podcast i have a guiding research hypothesis and that hypothesis is that passion gives purpose what's your thoughts on that i believe that passion is definitely something to hold on to quite tightly and i know you faced it with your djing and i faced it with probably politics actually um, once you begin something, it's always good to test new things and try new career paths. And definitely when I went into politics, it was very insincere at times. There are lots of people who seemingly are very kind to you and make large promises, which seem believable at the time. However, later on, not so much. And there's not that much integrity, I found. Um, in, in Parliament too much. Lots of flaky words and pledges which don't come to fruition. Mm -hmm. and so one thing which I would aim to do in the future is to 
change that, either whether whether it's through the inside of politics and re-enter that landscape and see if I can change it from the inside. I'm only one person, so Mm -hmm. it's going to take some strong-minded people to get that done, or whether it's through entrepreneurship and seeing if I can make a difference from going around the houses, having still the meaningful uh, meaningful connections who can make a, a difference in the political landscape, but doing it in a way which also generates capital, social capital, monetary capital for young people who really need it right now. Mm-hmm. Does that answer your question? Yeah, kind of. Okay. Um, it doesn't, does it? <laughs> I guess the part that I struggle is yeah. <clears throat> how that relates to a higher purpose. Mm-hmm. So obviously that speaks to your passion specifically. Yeah. But the the notion of having that passion gives your life purpose. Do you... I guess, agree with that hypothesis or do you see that differently? I'm, I'm very goal-driven and I also look at the marketplace when it comes to what's, what people value. And so I don't always look at what I'm most passionate about. I quite enjoy gaming every now and again and, it's, and also playing music and violin and piano. However, at the, at the current time, the, the market's not really needing more gamers or more mm-hmm. singers really that I've seen or more pianists or violinists that I it's not that I've really endeavored to make a a career out of those things just from speaking with people and trying out elements such as uh, such as broadcasting it's very difficult it takes years a good four years of really hard work to make something happen. So in essence, what I'm saying is, yes, passion is important, but also looking at what other people value and the marketplace conditions as to when you when you attack the problem and when you mm-hmm. pursue the purpose. Mm-hmm. It's interesting that you refer to the, it this way because obviously I ask a lot of my guests this question <clears throat> and they usually give somewhat of a similar answer okay. um, for those that say no. Yeah. Some people also just fully agree. Okay. Um, there are also people who say no. And I guess what I'm contemplating, because often the response relates to, for example, gaming or mm. to music or to football is often also one. People like football. The question is, is that passion or is that enjoyment? Mm. Are you really passionate about gaming or do you just enjoy spending your time that way? Well, that's a good question. How do you separate passion from enjoyment or joy and pleasure? I'm still working it out. But for me, passion in this case is something that even on days where I feel like crap, I'll still show up and do it. Mm. And I love music, but there were days where if I felt like crap, then I just chose not to do it. If I reflected on this podcast... Even when I don't want to, I show up every week because on Monday a new episode needs to come out. It sounds like a duty. Almost. And I guess that's also um, uh, why I asked the question in relation to purpose, because to some extent you could argue that purpose is a sense of duty Mm. to what you owe the world. That's true. Yeah. So, okay. Uh, I'm just curious. Huh? The idea is to see whether or not you don't have to accept my <laughs> my hypothesis there, but I'm just curious how you or what you think about that then, whether it's enjoyment or whether it's still, you would still describe it as passion in this sense. So is that referring to gaming and music? Gaming and music or whatever other hobby comes to your mind? It's very, it has benefits such as socializing, 
Mm-hmm. And because it can be very costly going out these days, especially if it's on a mm-hmm. regular basis. Yeah. And so gaming's cheaper and I see lots of young people game. And so in that sense, it's a means to an end, a means to socializing. And so that can be valuable. Whether I regard it as a passion, I've not really invested too much too many resources into it. I don't have the latest gear or yeah, yeah. latest monitor, latest Xbox or PlayStation or whatever it is. So I'm, I, I wouldn't say I'm necessarily passionate, but it is a good thing to do on the side just to ensure my moods regulate and I, I keep current with the young people. It can be very tempting to only seek those who have had experiences. Yeah. And so then I get trained to people who are older than me. And so sometimes it can feel like I'm just missing out on actually being 22 and a young person. So it keeps me grounded. Yeah. So that's probably why I, I continue to game every now and again, but yeah. work's becoming more and more of a, a focus. Right. Really. Fair enough. You mentioned that you had had, I guess, a passion for politics. Yeah. What brought about that passion? Where did that come from? That probably came from a feeling of, and I quite like this podcast because I'm coming into this as kind of an exploratory discussion. And so I don't have any premeditated or, or ulterior motives or any anything that I wish to sell or anything. So this is just a very genuine conversation. Um, I probably felt quite insecure when I was younger. And I, I saw politics as a way to gain some validation from the community. And I wasn't particularly religious, and nor am I currently particularly religious, although I am looking more into it and studying why so many people have adopted religions. And it seems like what lots of teachings say is that meaning's found from within. And so that was probably the journey that I've experienced on politics in that it's very fluffy. Sometimes you're the golden kid and mm-hmm. everyone looks at you for advice and, and for inspiration, hope, which is very cool. But then time's up after a certain point yeah. and then they just forget about you. At some point, you actually take it upon yourself to go and do something with that passion. Mm-hmm. What did you end up doing in, in, uh, in regards to politics? So what I did with the passion... When it comes to, what would this be regarding? What did I do re- in, in the political landscape? Um, I believe you set up a, uh, a motion that was discussed at the House of Commons. Yes, yes, that's true. And so it was called Age of Transport Transition. And I tried to encourage the use of electric bikes on the roads. And the motion was passed. Everything was looking good. But then nothing really happened because Youth Parliament doesn't have the... It has influence over... And I'm unsure if I can, how free I am to say this, but I'm going to say it. Um, <laughs> so youth parliament has big influence when it comes to working with politicians. However, they don't have the decision-making power to actually instantiate legislation. And so that makes it tricky to improve the lives of many over a long period of time, especially with how transitory or how quick politicians change as we've experienced with the prime ministers just changing every few months it felt yeah and that's that has virtues and vices the virtue is that it means we don't get dogmas and very sticky thinking where it's very hard to change things it's very um, it doesn't become too conservative through the fact of ever-changing politicians however if it changes too frequently then there's no certainty there's no there's there's no kind of staff to hold on to there's there's it's very flaky so things change all the different priorities if you change priorities five different times in the course of five months then nothing gets done you can't boil an ocean yeah 
Do you think in general, as someone who has worked in politics, you can even change things within politics? It's quite a big beast. If Even if you know the right people, it's up to them whether they make the decisions that could support lots and lots of people, mm -hmm. which is why I quite like the idea that maybe we should be focused more on ourselves and then our family. And then once that's secure, then we focus on the bigger world because it's very hard to control such a, a big organization. Yeah. At one point I read the book, strong recommendation as well, uh, The Billionaire Who Wasn't. Mm. Happened to have read it? read it i haven't no, no, but okay. i'm curious about it. so it's about um chuck feeney the founder of um uh, duty free goods dfs okay and at some point he made like a billion bucks five billion uh anyway sold wow. his company and he he took it upon himself to give everything away except for one million and in the book, and that was my actual point, he has a discussion at some point as to why he never donates this money towards politics, but rather invests in building businesses that make long-term change is because, as I said, or uh, hence my question, it's quite difficult to change things within politics. People tend to use it for their own good. They set up NGOs where the majority of the money and bonuses actually don't go to the people that need it, but rather to, that's why... I know for yourself as well, we'll get into that in a second, but you made the transition towards business. I'm curious whether or not you still think politics in the way it is currently is as effective of a medium in order to make change as it maybe originally was meant to be. It depends what changes you wish to make because it seems like with the rise of AI, we're not going to be as intelligent as machines in 10, 20, time, 20, 10, 20 years, even tomorrow with the rate it's advancing with most people. And so knowing what to change is probably where I would begin. What do I wish to change? I'd probably look at the community around me, see if I can make changes at a county level or district level. And that's hard to do, let alone doing something on a countrywide level. Even if you know the prime minister and the chancellor, there's, there's so many different, it's like controlling a set of, ants almost it's mm. very hard to to just make small changes without affecting the wider community and how it operates it's it's a different organism it's like comparing a a cell to a universe it, it's very challenging to yeah to do yeah yeah the reason why i reached out to you is because you also sent me a message telling a little bit about yourself yeah and what stood out to me was your comment on your high school period. Mm. I assume you know what I'm referring to. I do. Do you want to talk about it? So during, so in, in the UK, we call it secondary school and sixth form. And, and during sixth form, it was I, was, I really wanted to be a chemical engineer. And I was big on science. I went to the maths master classes that Imperial College did. And I did lots of cool things, met really cool people. Thought I was in a good position to study that. And... And then there's been some pressures. So during A-levels, there were family pressures. So that made things tricky um, because when you're trying to study, you want silence or, or you want a bit of music maybe in the background, although it's ill-advised apparently from teachers to do that. Um, but anyway, you want your own space. And it was very hard to get my own space. And friendship challenges, um, the, those who I thought were my friends, didn't 
really turn out to be my friends in the long in the long run and and then there was the privilege of being member of youth parliament so 500,000 young people across two years in Surrey and that that was a cool responsibility and I wished that there were more young people we really engaged meaningfully so if we could have invited more young people into the discussions that would have been really cool not just the selected or elected people who have accepted the responsibility anyway lots of things going on in, the, in my life at the time and then not to mention exam stress which was brutal the difference between GCSE and A levels is so big it's it's it, it it it's it was very very challenging for me and so on the last week of exam season i attempted suicide and that meant that i couldn't go to ucl to do chemical engineering and that was tricky because my identity was was really to be a scientist and so it, it was almost like an identity crisis and also a what do i do next crisis because i had no idea what happens if you don't reach university because that was my only goal that was the only opportunity that I thought was meaningful mm. and then there was one person who reached out Jack Parsons and he's been very beneficial in my life he's a mentor a brother a just a strong supporter and so he gave me the opportunity to work in his organization the youth group now called youth group and I took that with both hands and I learned as much as I could and after four years, became chief of staff for the organization. And that was a great privilege. And I learned a huge amount about what young people value in life and how to run an organization meaningfully such that the most amount of people benefit from the work you do. So, and then we did the podcast with lots of cool people. And so it was just a big learning experience. That was my university really, is just going straight into an organization and seeing what I can learn, seeing what I can, who I can help, who I can add the most value to. And then I decided to do my own thing and create Opportunity M. Before, before we dive into that, I want to, yeah. I guess, understand a little bit more <clears throat> what brought you to that decision of attempting suicide. Mm. Mainly because especially among men, it's such a huge topic. It is. Because it doesn't get talked about. Are you, first of all, you, are you willing to I'm talk about to it? I'm happy to talk okay, about okay. it, yeah. I just wouldn't wish to trivialize it because it's quite um, a serious topic. So I wish to give it the amount of time and care necessary to necessary to really discuss it in, in however much detail you wish. I guess my main interest is why did, what brought about the feeling that that was the only way out for you? Was there at that point not a feeling of, oh, there is no going back? Or was it more of a, was it deliberate thought out over a longer period? Or was it just a sort of almost impulsive thing? So I did plan mm -hmm. that one. And so I, I, I'm balancing this with, I wouldn't wish to, well, um, so I did plan that one and my dad came home early. So he, he caught, caught me in the act. And, uh, so, so we went to hospital and everything was fine. What led to it was probably, it's a multitude of factors as I've already mentioned and also, um, music. So I was quite into 21 pilots and I'm, I, 
I was very obsessive with people back in the day. And so I, I obsessed over a best friend, which is very bad to do. And so I don't have best friends anymore. I only have um, close friends. So I don't prioritize any one person because yeah. that could be very bad. And mm -hmm. um, so because I was quite obsessive to, to it was, it was when it comes to that facet of the, the challenge, it was quite difficult for me to process the fact that I wasn't his best friend and also that exams were crashing down. So the time I invest in studying was worthless. The time I invest in friendships were worthless. And, and then the time invested with family was worthless because then there was so much pressure to move out, do my own thing. And I thought, well, I did all this politics experience and I have all of this experience with science and doing the extracurricular. I did every extracurricular I could think of anything, mm. astrology, lots and lots. I was very passionate about that when I was younger. And then to feel, to find out that it actually didn't lead to anything um, was probably quite eye-opening and a big learning, but it, it was probably just very harsh at the time. Mm -hmm. So I probably wasn't ready for it. And because it was such a big learning, um, that that's probably what, what led to the, to the incident. Would you have considered that rock bottom or the start of something new? Oh, I see. So am I an optimist or pessimist about the situation? To uh, some extent, I guess. Um, well, looking back now, I would say I'm quite optimistic about where things are going. And I wouldn't have met with all of the cool people, learned from lots of cool people, um, had I have not gone down the path I've gone on. So I wouldn't change back time and change anything. Um, I know chemical engineers who are looking for unpaid internships. That's how bad the marketplace is for chemical engineers. Um, so it looks like I've, I've, uh, I've managed to miss potential bigger failures, such as investing 18,000, 30,000 in a degree and then not having that pay off. So I'd rather have it bite the bullet sooner than later. So in that sense, I'm optimistic that I did the, n not necessarily the right thing, but, uh, it, it was probably the right time for that to happen. I wouldn't have wanted that later on when I had lots of debt. Uh, it's mm. very bad to get in debt. Yeah. So I know one friend who's in 18 K worth of debt because he, he parked on a car parking. There was two yellow lines and he parked there for years and years while he was seeing his girlfriend and he, he just ignored it. And so it rose up to 18,000 pounds and that's awful. It's very, very bad. Wow. That's so. okay. <laughs> so, I guess the reason also why I partly ask, <clears throat> um, even though your sit or this particular situation is still on a whole other level, um, the quarter life crisis in of itself is, is one of these situations I've at least had to find out from experience that it's something you kind of have to go through. And I'm not saying that the situation you had went through, you had to, mm. but I do wonder whether or not, if you look at it back now, whether you can spin it into a sort of foundation for a lot of the other things that you went on to do as if you needed that it's, it's rock bottom place to then start again. That's probably the sense I wouldn't have gone into entrepreneur. It's I did actually invest in a Ty Lopez course. So I'm, I might've been interested in entrepreneurship at the time, actually. So I feel even if I went down the, the road of, no, I would have. Okay. So if I, I've never done this before. So if I were to hypothesize a different outcome 
So say that didn't happen and I got the grades and I went and did chemical engineering, what I probably would have done is try and work up the hierarchy to become the boss chemical engineer in whatever company I could find. I'd, I'd probably be looking to BP or some big corporate company. So mm -hmm. that's probably what would have happened. But yeah. whether I would have got the job, yeah, probably not. I tried to... It's always an assumption, right? But um, it's very hard to get meetings with these people. So, yeah, it's I'm I'm unsure what would have happened. Mm -hmm. If you're anything like me, you may have spent months, to some cases years, trying to figure out what your passion is. You've eventually figured it out and are contemplating making the jump. In doing so, one of the first things you are faced with when building a new business or even being a creator is finances. Now, the select few love this part. I personally do not. So luckily, I'm very proud to announce today that I've, I have a sponsor who is able to fix this problem for you. For the Sharp listeners, you may know them from episode 30, Edwin from Moneybird. They decided to sponsor this podcast today. Now, I know that when I started with my business four years ago, I was super overwhelmed by all the things I had to do from sending invoices to doing my taxes. It was all a lot and all very confusing and almost made me stop. Moneybird aims to... Automize the financial processes, such as sending invoices, such as sending reminders for invoices, such as giving you exactly how you need to fill in your tax overview. So if you're a starting entrepreneur or creator in the Netherlands, I'd absolutely recommend using Moneybird. I'll add the link to their website in the description down below. And with that being said, let's get back into today's show. To go back to, <laughs> to slightly more positive uh, route, you end up working with Jack Parsons. I did. What do you, or first of all, for those that don't know, since it is a European uh, podcast, yeah. who is Jack Parsons and what exactly did you do for him? Jack Parsons is the UK's chief youth officer. What is that? So that means that he, well, he's well connected, very well connected. So he's a top voice on LinkedIn, over 80,000, 85,000 followers. And so I connected him with the Chancellor of the Exchequer at the time, Rishi Sunak, who's now the prime minister. And so he's very well connected. And so what he can do, which I can't, is speak on behalf of lots and lots of young people who joined his youth group community. So he's also the CEO of youth group and make meaningful decisions which benefit the lives of many. And so he's in a very good position right now. Yeah. And what I aim to do is a slightly different goal. So instead of it being demographically focused on just young people 18 to 30, is to support as many as I can over the age of eight ages of 18 under 18 is very hard when it comes to the legal i didn't study uh, law and so i i'm on it it just feels very unstable working with under 18s there's lots of red tape to support them mm -hmm. so what i can do at the moment is support those over 18 and i had a i had a thought to my i really thought about this quite intensely how could i help the most amount of people in the shortest amount of time and i thought well actually everyone what does everyone want opportunity and so how do we give the most amount of opportunities to the, to the most amount of people in the shortest amount of time meaningful opportunities so what i've done is i've created an opportunity board which i haven't really publicized too much however what it consists of is the president of mastercard the ceo of aviva a massive insurance company turning over 33 billion 22,000 staff and the emea of pinterest lots of really cool decision makers and i'm going to ask them the question how do we create or how do we open the most amount? How do we open and equalize the most amount of meaningful opportunities in the shortest amount of time? And I'm going to listen and learn and see what I can do 
with all of my powers, whatever they may be, and all of my connections to really make that happen. So that's going to be the, that's the vision which drives me. So basically you work with these people. Yeah. Uh, and and how, how should I imagine that? Do you shadow them or do you literally just ask them the question, how can we solve these and these problems given the network that you guys have or what? Yeah. So with the opportunity board, that creates a sense of credibility for the company. And because not every company, let alone a 22-year-old, gets the chance to sit in a room and lead a meeting and chair a meeting with these really cool decision makers. So it gives some credibility, which can support with partnership development so we can get some capital. What the company does at the moment is really boost staff retention. I didn't wish to com compete with Jack and the youth group, which is very big on recruiting young people and mentoring and skills. So I thought, how can I not compete but still support with my bigger vision? And so really boosting staff retention is, is the main idea I had. I don't see many people really focusing on this. There's yeah. lots of recruitment companies out there. Yeah. And what I find distressing about recruitment companies is that some of them find a way to make a profit by breaking up relations with employees. It's almost like if you had a relationship with a partner and there's an active agent trying to break it up just so they can fill in the spot. So that's one of the Because they don't have in-house HR, you mean? Or why do you see it that way? As, as in recruitment companies attempt, because they make money from recruiting. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's what I mean with, because outside recruiting companies, not people in like HR yeah, positions H HR, within a company. Usually HR have good intentions. Yeah, exactly. So, but there are recruitment companies out there who um, just have bad morals and bad ethics, but yeah. hopefully the business world takes care of them in a kind way. Yeah. So yeah, that's really the, the what we're doing at the moment. So boosting staff retention, how do we keep really great people at great companies? Because there's people are leaving more and more often for just a, a pound or an hour or two pounds an hour due to the cost of living crisis. Mm. I call it an opportunity crisis. Really people want more. It seems that people want more opportunities, meaningful opportunities rather than just more money. And so if I can find a way to partner with EasyJet and give free travel holidays or partner with, I don't know. Um, Do you think that solves the problem? Because I've, I've thought about this a little bit myself. Okay. Probably not as in detail as you have. But I wonder whether it's, if you give them more opportunities, to take yeah. the example you just gave, where they have EasyJet and you give them free travel. If you think to all these other companies, right, that also have staff benefits, such as a free bike, gym membership, all this stuff, that's mm. nice to have. But at some point, just like with the purchase of any new material, that fades. So isn't what, in, again, from my perspective, so yeah. please, what people are actually missing is a sense of fulfillment. Fulfillment, okay. A sense of, and that is, I guess, why I interview a lot of people that um, have companies that attempt to change a certain problem in the world because it, because as said, that gives them the sense of I'm fulfilling something uh, or I am part of, again, which also relates to our church uh, example, I'm part of something bigger than myself and therewith I am making change and helping people. Isn't that what we're missing? People like big visions, so that mm -hmm. can be quite fulfilling. And it really depends what, what the fulfillment is, what the need is that they're satiating. So it could be well-being. And so we, this brings in another topic. So I've, I've, I've begun the work to categorize opportunity. 
to mm. really see what people want and then we can give people what they want and one of them is well-being and so what we're going to do is partner with the gym group and see if we can give free gym memberships and also view cinemas and give free cinema tickets because it looks like there are some industry pressures which have resulted from the covid implications such as hospitality industry and etc so how do we give them a reviver or a spark and so that's what i'm working on how can we change the habits of the staff in order to facilitate meaningful growth in industries and also meaningful lives and so we're going to be partnering with hopefully fingers crossed those companies in order to give more benefits to individuals and does that answer your question i not I really find myself going around <laughs> no, the house no, oh, good. no not really or well i maybe um i, I guess the point still stands do you truly believe people need more benefits do people need more benefits is it benefits that will solve this issue of people leaving or was covid in particular a nice mirror and a reflection for a lot of people to say hey it's nice that i'm going to the office every day and earning my 90 grand a year but to be honest i enjoy much more being around my children and watching them grow up Hmm. and for that have maybe a little bit less money and be able to not travel as much but at least enjoy life it's quite no, a big no stress, need okay. that people have to have a family mm -hmm. however it's very challenging with the housing crisis in order to do that and so my thinking is if we partnered with these organizations and gave uh i think it's called bayesian um Bayesian economics that's what someone told me anyway from Verizon um, that I, I was looking to do and um, anyway it, there must be another way that we can fix it besides or to to support with people's growth of the family union besides just working more hours in the same career because then that can lead to burnout and lots of other challenges there must be another way around it that can give a sense of community and and that bigger need rather yeah. than what we're currently doing. There must be another way. I believe, and that's also what you see with the movement of sustainability companies increasing, increasing, increasing. The reason why their retention is starting to be much higher than the Amazons and the whatever other big company you can think of is because it gives a sense of help in the world. Mm. And that's why I'm, I'm just being a bit critical, I guess, I like of it. this idea, right? Of, yeah. Are we really going to increase the retention by giving them additional benefits or is that just going to put a band-aid on a, a broken arm? You know, is that just going to, at some point, like, I mean, people are always going to look for a job, but I do to some extent have a very savage imagination that if we really want to, for example, solve sustainability issues, then we just don't work for the companies that are polluting the most anymore. If they don't have employees, they can't pollute because they can't operate. It's slowly happening. I'm slowly. not sure if it'll ever reach that stage in my lifetime. Yeah. But I do see it in the Netherlands with, the, for example, the top 10 coolest brands last year. Eight of them were sustainability companies. Really? Okay. That's a new learning. Um, so I, I'm very curious as, as an outsider also to see how this progresses for you, whether or not you run into that challenge that I speak about now, or whether it's um, or maybe just me, you know, maybe I'm just seeing things or imagining them, but. Well, I would say I'm still on the journey. I'm testing the idea out. Yeah. And if it works, I get money 
or the company gets money. And if it doesn't, then I can move on to a new idea. Yeah. I mean, I am very, um, I am, I will be, I have lots of fortitude. I will be sticking to this idea for quite yeah. some time. Yeah. Um, a number of Please years. Please do, of course. Because yeah. I, I really do believe in it. Um, but I am, I am testing and yeah. seeing how the marketplace responds to a way to boost staff retention through giving people opportunities that they want. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm still testing it. Yeah. It looks to be going in the right direction. So it seems to be beneficial. And if I can identify the core need of the most people, that feels like that would be very valuable. So that's why I aim to do, but I just don't, maybe I don't ask enough questions, right? No, 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 I'm not saying that at all. I'm just, I'm just being skeptical, I guess, yeah. also for myself. Um, what, what would you say is the core need of the people of whether it's Germany or Netherlands or, or UK or... Uh, I, again, I can't speak for everyone. I see me and my friends and the type of people I hang out with, the core need that we have is a sense of belonging. Mm. And that really doesn't mean that everyone has to start their own business. Um, it's very lonely starting a business. Exactly. Um, but a, a sense of purpose in the idea of I'm making a change somewhere. Mm. Very simple example for, uh, I, I interviewed, um, Melis Schellekens. He's the founder of the good role and the good role is a company that basically makes toilet paper, right? And they make it in a sustainable and ethical manner to and make the world less shitty. I remember him saying exactly. Yeah. And 50% of their profits go to, um, to improving sewage systems in Ghana. Yes. This company is, is worth millions and they sell toilet paper. Where you're like, if it's possible with toilet paper, just imagine with all these other products that we have. Like it is possible. Um, and and the people that seem to be working in these positions don't necessarily get more benefits or no, in fact, they get less benefits than at a MasterCard or Amazon or, or Google, whatever. Hmm. Um, and yet they seem to be generally more happy because of this sense of belonging, because I know there is also research on the fact that I think after 3000 and maybe because of inflation, it's slightly higher now, but after a certain base level, your increase in happiness is not incremental to what it is from that first zero to 3000. Right? So then I guess that that brings up the question to me of is, are more benefits going to make people actually be happier. And that's why I'm very interested to see how this progresses also for you, because mm. we'll be very interested. Yeah, it's an experiment. So exactly. We'll see. Which is very cool that you're doing that in, in of itself, by the way. Yeah, it's it feels like it would be too big a jump for me at the moment just to go into a, a third world country mm. and see what work I can do there regarding opportunities. And of I'm sure the value yeah. it, it would bring. There, because... I think they would actually need uh, like a base value and... Yeah, yeah, but it's a whole new culture. Yeah, um, I, I bet it would take research. So I'm not giving excuses. Maybe in the future I, I might try that. And however, I'm I'm working with what I probably know the the most from my work at the youth group and speaking with these individuals and hearing their needs. So I'm working with what I have to do the best I can. And so far, it looks to be going okay. That's good. So yeah, no judgment. Huh? Yeah, I, I can I can really. Uh admire what you're doing um, um within uh your work with jack parsons though you wouldn't necessarily have said that you were in like a hr capacity right you were of course talking to people 
yeah, um, I was talking to people. But um, really the recruiting process, I guess you're quite new to then. So I recruited for the youth group. Actually, that was cool. You mentioned that, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so I spoke with lots and lots of young people. I heard what books they're reading. I heard what challenges they're facing. It feels like lots of young people at the moment have huge exam stress in universities mm. and especially which is made worse from covid when they had to study from a laptop screen instead yeah. of yeah. going to lectures in person yeah and a lot of them are facing real struggles with regards to motivation and there it looks to be an identity crisis who am i because the the job market isn't synchronized with the education that's being provided to young people yeah and so they have to navigate different career paths from what they studied and there's a lot of unease in young people these days especially with the cost of education level and the rise of ai people are really looking for what opportunities are out there for me if it's not in the educational landscape yep I think also a lack of, or I mean, that's the foundation of my whole podcast, right? That there's a lack of education into who you are as an individual yeah. in order for you to understand what are things that I could enjoy doing. As someone that um, operates a lot at the intersection between education and business, do you believe that university is still the right path to follow for most? Oh, Okay. It wouldn't have been, it's, I, mm, there is lots to learn at university. And so I wouldn't wish to discredit them. It's a very long established, it's, it's old, universities are older than I am. So it's almost wrong for me to comment on them. However, we have freedom of speech. So, so I will, (laughs) um, these institutions, they're very selective with who they bring in. It feels like only the top 1% get real meaningful knowledge that can give people the, the give them the careers they want really challenging questions however the and that that makes it hard for people because then they feel like if they don't get the a stars then they can't get the the true knowledge like at oxford or cambridge who've been going for centuries and so these newer universities um well i haven't really experienced the newer universities so that's probably something i should do and what was the question, Ryan? Because I feel like... Uh, whether or not you think that the universities is still the right path for people to follow. Mm. Because I know, for example, a Gar- a Gary V, for example, is a huge shouter about... It, it, it does... It does not depend. essential anymore. And in some cases, it's actually very outdated. Yeah. Um, that's at least something I found myself. And don't get me wrong, I think university laid the foundations for my the development of my whole personality it gave me the time and space hmm. to figure that part out but as far as essential skills are more interpersonal skills that i took away rather than theoretical and i feel like that is the case still for so many universities where they're teaching and like i work in marketing so as an example the four p's of marketing and yet having worked in marketing now for four and a half years, what not a single things? time that that specific model came across my desk. Yeah. What, what are the four P's? I don't know them. Price, power, people, promotion. Okay. What does that mean? Essentially, it's like a four or like a breakdown into how you should position, position your product or service within the market. Oh, okay. 
so it's like which what's the price obviously yeah which people are we talking to how do we promote it and uh, what is the product actually um and while the formula the basic principle of it makes sense like you don't you never use it right you just sort of you know it and that's nice but you just don't use it or uh, conduct like I spent 90% of my studies writing macro and meso analysis, which is how you uh, look at the market of a company and you assess what are their strengths and weaknesses within the market mm-hmm. and within the company. I, I haven't wrote in a single one since leaving. So that's where I, I guess that's the foundation for my question of, isn't it a bit outdated in some cases, universities in general? It definitely feels like, and universities, I don't know if they would hate, they probably would hate me for saying this, but it, it feels <laughs> I like I don't want to ruin any connections <laughs> for you. It feels, it feels like it's very much a pleasure island for people. So people go there as almost like an alternative to Tinder, some of them, and it's not a bad thing. Um, but it feels like it's lost its sense of duty. And I'm unsure the where it really sits in today's world because I know lots of huge employees are looking for graduates. However, they're also looking for apprentices who can join. And so it feels like it's very much a hybrid world we live in where you don't need to have a degree to get some of the top positions. And so that's good news. Um, Whether or not it's right for people, it's very much dependent on what their aims are. So if your aim is to be the, um, I don't know, head head of marketing, then maybe university is for you. But then again with TikTok and so there are different ways to get into the same role now. So it's hard to say whether it is the right or wrong. If I, I, when it comes to my situation, someone asked me recently, would I go back to university in the future? Potentially, if a company paid me to go to university, um, it's definitely not an expenditure that I wish to have. I do not wish to get in debt. And so it feels like there are alternatives and sufficient enough alternatives that decreases the value of university so it doesn't feel as beneficial i'm obviously giving a a slightly biased example because i've not studied a degree yes i may have had the summer classes and summer challenges and the maths master classes which were very cool i I actually don't use many of them in my day-to-day it feels very niche very specific the knowledge you get so unless you're going to become a a PhD or, or teach in that field, it feels like the skills that you get aren't as valuable, especially with AI. You can ask it anything. I can yeah. probably ask the AI what the four Ps are and it will tell me. But then you said that you studied lots and lots of time in studying it. So I don't know how much if I studied something, if someone can just search on an AI, then I'm not as valuable as the AI. So I feel yeah. like the value on knowledge isn't as as high as it once was. So there must be a alternative such as people skills or soft skills, or there must be, you could know every, you could read every book on the earth. And I, and if I, if I did that, I wouldn't be able to tell you how you're feeling. Um, so there are things which books and teachers give you, but there are things that it just misses. And yeah. so I'm looking for what books don't give you so that I can find a, a value system, which, which people, um, which people would Something which people would find valuable, which doesn't, which isn't predicated on going to university. So that's really what I'm trying to do. As someone who has followed their passion for a couple of years now, yeah, is there, in your perspective, any downsides to chasing your passion? Oh, um, 
I, I don't really, I'm quite an agreeable person. And so I don't ask for promotions when I'm working in an organization. So I may have followed my passion, but because I wasn't as ruthless with making money, it, it didn't really lead to fortune. In fact, I lost more money than I gained by doing that. However, what I did gain is knowledge and at a cheaper rate than I would have done at university. And I also have the connections, which I wouldn't have got at university, which I can then leverage when it comes to the business partnerships. So, yeah. As far as the chasing your passion part though goes? Chasing my passion. Yeah. The, the let's say working with Jack or, or uh, getting a, a motion into the house of commerce. Commons. Commons, yeah. yeah. Commons. Is there at any point that you thought to yourself, this is a real downside to me doing this process, to chasing that passion? I'm with you. So a downside to chasing your passion. Yeah. Um, well, there's one which is money. You don't always get the money, which maybe you're worth or maybe yeah, okay. you would like to have. Yeah. And number two is... Usually I look on the upside of things. So this is a real struggle for me to find the downside of doing the, the passions and the, the con. Which is, by the way, a positive thing. <laughs> oh, good. Okay. But, uh, if, you're, if you can't think of anything, that's also fine, of course. Because I've chosen my passion, I feel like I've chosen it wisely um, so that it can develop a long-term lifestyle. It's It's not a passion which is based on just short-term impulsive pleasures. It feels like it's worthwhile and meaningful. So there, there aren't many cons that I can see at the moment from my time with, with Jack. Um, I'm, I'm probably better in one-to-ones than group situations, even though I can do speeches. It's, it's, so that, that probably helped with my connection with, with Jack. And, but a downside to that, I don't really know. I suppose I get frustrated if I get less time with those I admire. Um, because I become attached. Whenever you obtain something, you also have the risk of losing something. Mm. So that's one of the downsides of owning anything is that it could all be gone. So I try not to own too much, um, but downsides to pursuing my passion. No, that's I suppose, I suppose that knowing that potentially it could go, that's probably the only other downside I can think of. I like that. So at least a new answer as well. Um, oh, good. Okay. On the table in front of you, there's a yeah, jar. A jar. Okay, I see the Are jar. Are you familiar with the jar? I'm not actually. Okay. No, this is new to me. Yeah, it's a relatively new segment in the show where okay. I collected community questions. Oh, good. And basically they are within the jar. So I invite you to take one from there, read it out, and okay. then give your answer to it. Okay, let me look. How did you get these questions in from the community? Did they submit them on LinkedIn or something? Uh, on Instagram, but... Instagram, okay. The idea stands. Was that about me or just general questions they want to know? No, uh, just general. 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 Okay, let's have a look. One person said, what is the perfect future scenario in your professional or personal path? Okay. Who said perfect. this? I wrote down the name probably. The Vilda. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Vilda. Okay. Yeah. And... So what's the perfect future scenario in your professional or personal path? Um, I don't really look at my personal path too much. I probably should. Most people think about intimate relationships in their personal path, but I try not to. I've um, almost put all my eggs in one basket with when it comes to professional life and developing my career. More so, 
I would say than others. So I've never had an in- intimate kind of relationship with a girl, which is not something I should probably be publicizing. But, um, <laughs> yet that's hopefully going to change. Um, perfect scenario for professional path. Oh, um, so one thing which I don't usually do is pray. However, so I asked a friend about it the other day and, um, because when I had my, my birthday the other day, uh, my parents said that, that you should make a wish. And I always say that they, they just don't come true. They don't work. And, but I thought actually, okay, I'll give it a go that time. And what I wished for was to add the most amount of value that I can with the resources I have with those I collaborate with who wish to obtain a partnership with Opportunity M. So that would probably be the perfect future scenario in my professional path is to add the most amount of value that I can to those I work with. So that would be the ideal scenario because you get what you give. If I give a million pounds worth of value or 10,000 pounds worth of value, then something's going to come back. It does, it does probably take negotiation skills, which I have to still develop. Um, even though I've learned a little bit from mm-hmm. Jack and, and from, I use masterclass a lot. Mm-hmm. That was a really good negotiation yeah. one on there. So it, I probably need to be more assertive when it comes to partnerships. At the moment, I'm very agreeable and patient, but uh, I probably need to be more forthright. And, and Why do you think you need to be then? Business can take some time. And what I'm somewhat fearful of, I don't get fearful often, is once my parents go and things start changing, then I, I'm going to have to have enough resources that I can be self-sufficient. And so that's one of the things which businesses can offer, but it's risk, risky, very risky. Mm. That's one of the things I like about careers is that it gives you a little bit more safety. It's like a safety net because you have a regular salary and it's mm-hmm. monthly, but it can also be quite boring at, at times, I suppose, if you have regularity. And so it's a balance. Um, so that's probably what I'm I'm fearful of. Just if once people start going out of my life, eventually I'm going to have to be very self-sufficient and stand on my own two feet. So I think maybe I need to be more restless when it comes to business and uh, and really really fight for more for for getting a partnership rather than just waiting on them to come back. Fair enough. And then send follow-ups once mm-hmm. a week. So. <clears throat> I think I have two more questions. Okay. First one is we are starting to pivot a little bit more towards starting entrepreneurs and creators. And the idea is to incentivize starting entrepreneurs and creators to make that step, to -hmm. take that jump. Um, What we found is that a lot of the time they have, they either have the passion or they have the passion to do something more, but they're just not sure what they are passionate about. Mm. And as a result, because of both situations, uh, a little bit in combination with the fear of failure, they end up not moving at all. They don't take that jump. Do you have any advice as far as um, making that jump as like just how to get people to start moving? People have, have said to me to have a backup plan. And so that seems like it's probably the advice people would want to hear. I don't actually have a backup plan at the moment. It's very much all in, all eggs in one basket fully business and well, I can share my experience a little bit and maybe that would help. So when I started, um, firstly I started because, well, I didn't really know I was given two options. 
Um, I was given an ultimatum. Either do I serve someone else other than Jack or do my own thing. So I decided to do my own thing. And it kind of came a little bit sooner than I anticipated, but that was okay. So sometimes you're not always ready for entrepreneurship or that you didn't predict that it would happen. But so, so that was my case. I didn't really predict that on my birthday, I'd have to jump straight into having my own company and, and having a team and, and, uh, or a new team. And so that was new. And so sometimes you just have to dive in the deep end. You either sink or you swim. And, and then I focus on the website, whether or not this is the right advice, I don't know, but I can, I can say what, what I've done and if any of it actually worked. So I, I focused on the website, getting that up to date, adding some pictures of those who I've met. I created a board that I can then add onto the website, add some credibility, make it likely to have a partnership and act as a bonus. If people partner with me, I can invite them onto the board and that's valuable. So, so that's what I've done in the early days. And then we grew the team and we have some digital marketers, some website developers, um, AWS specialists, because I'm very much not a techie kind of guy. And uh, me neither. So, <laughs> yeah. So, so that's that's what we did. And so far, it seems to be paying off. We have a few partnerships, and we we have we're very much growing. It's kind of a it's been very slow over the past probably in the the first seven months, and then it started to kind of spike up once the website is done, once you meet with more people and you have pictures with cool people. And so any advice when it comes to jumping from that? Hmm. I would say if it's something that you really wish to do that you feel that your current company doesn't really do and you feel that it could give you the lifestyle you wish to have, then I would say probably do it. And there's been advice given to me to explore lots of different career paths in my 20s and then in my 30s then focus on what I wish to do. So that's probably good advice. And I like to think I'm learning every day. I, so I met with a, a woman who's investor in LinkedIn and she said that she's a lifelong learner, which I, hmm. I love that phrase. So I like yeah. to think that I'm a lifelong learner. There's always more learning, learning to do. And university isn't the only way to get valuable knowledge. You can ask free AI these days and it gives you very, very valuable knowledge about lots and lots of topics. I've asked it about business, relationships, data, lots and lots. And it manages to put a very comprehensive answer yeah. uh, in, into, the, into the phone. So it's good to have a little bit of anxiety, I would say, so you don't become complacent because complacency can destroy businesses. If if you feel like everything's going well all of the time, then that's probably the time that you should think about what's not going right and what's not going well. And then you can start really planning to, to shift gears a little bit. Yeah. So I try not to become complacent and I keep an open mindset. I'm, I like to think I'm quite a, a friendly individual when I have my business meetings. So yeah. what, what it would take, I suppose, when creating a business, you, it's definitely worthwhile investing in speaking with lots of different types of individuals, whether they're decision makers, whether they're people who are friends or just lots of different people really from different backgrounds, yeah. then you can learn the art of communication, which I'm still learning. Mm. which I'm still learning. And and then that can benefit you when it comes to creating partnerships and negotiating. Because yep. the worst thing I, I hear, 
whenever someone complains about someone, it's usually because they're being rude. And so rudeness is definitely one thing which I see a lot of decision makers analyze. Like, is this a rude person? Are they being rude? So definitely learning how not to be rude and how to be the complete antithesis of that and very kind is, is probably the best skill that there is because mm. there it's very, it seems like the, the, the most nitpicky thing which people latch onto when it comes to criticizing someone is that yeah. they're rude. So once that's out of the way, then it's all good. And sometimes people don't intend to be rude, but it comes across as being rude. Yeah. So I was never big in acting classes or drama. I was the worst at drama. Uh, I think I probably failed drama. However, learning from Jack and his, I become more extroverted over the, the course of, of my time with Jack, which has proved very beneficial with creating partnerships, establishing rapport, and knowing how to be gracious and courteous to those who you meet. So mm -hmm. that's probably the best, that, that's probably the one advice I would give is know how to be kind and how to act kind so that it's well received. Yeah. I think that's solid advice, right? So, well, I have, I have three values. So be kind, be bold, be honest, which I stole from Jack. Right, okay. They're, they're the three values. Sometimes be passionate in there too is a bonus one. Yeah. But those are the three that I kind of stick to. Those are my three maxims. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Then my last question, and that is, okay. what does the future hold for you? The future, okay, what does the future hold? The future is always uncertain. I like to think I have faith that everything will work out in its own way. And... If I were to be more specific and less fluffy with my answer, it'd probably be over the next year, two more partnerships minimum and um, potentially a new, a new apartment, which will be cool. And I just don't know whether, when the right time is to look to explore an intimate relationship. It's been on my mind for quite a few years and I've discussed this with mentors and, uh, Because it's, it's very now? much a, I'm 22, so I'm very young oh, okay. still. Um, but soon I'm not going to be that young. So I do need to start thinking about it. But knowing, <laughs> knowing the right time is definitely, it seems to be most people look to settle down when they're in their late 20s and, and 30s. So I still have some time to make a decision, but uh, it's very much a numbers game, just like business. So yep. that's, that's kind of what I do at the moment. I send lots and lots of different um emails to those I've met before and then some of them come back 1% of them come back and then 0.5% of them say yes let's have a meeting 0.1% say let's partner so it's very low odds but that's probably the same principle I'd have to apply to to dating but I've not yeah. really looked into it I probably should but I've I've not really looked into it I think there's also nothing wrong with uh, focusing on what you're doing now and being hungry about that I'm pretty sure there's plenty of time yeah there's lots should of time. at least not dict or conform to anything society tells you to do that yeah that's at least in my opinion not the way to go very very true very very true fair there's lots i can learn in that subject area thank you very much for your time today and your thank stories you. i'm very excited to see how this project develops for you and we'll be following closely amazing thank thanks you for your time likewise <laughs>